0: It was uh, David's first study break or no? Second study break, probably the last study break, right? This is it for you? You're done? I fell asleep in the introduction, actually, so thank you. Uh, but anyway, I'm just kidding, it was magnificent. That was the Best I've ever heard. So I was, let let, let me put it this way, it's been about nine years since I lost my granny, since granny went home uh, to heaven, and I miss her for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was, I could do no wrong in this woman's eyes. Um, We could joke about it, my my brother and sister and I, but there was no questioning from anybody's perspective that I was her favorite grandchild. I truly was. There's multiple examples I could give to you, but I'll give you this one. Uh, My brother and I had come up uh, to stay at their house during the summer because in Indiana, uh, you have the, the the fairs, the county fairs that go all over the place, and so we came up because Grand and Grandpa lived on the road where the county fair was, and so we were staying there, and it was time to get ready for bed, and I was younger, I was nine, he was 13, I had to go in and get ready for bed first, so I go in, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I happen to notice in the drawer that's there in their bathroom, a tube of something called Icy Hot. I don't know if you know what Icy Hot is, but Icy Hot is like a muscle relaxer, it's kind of like Bengay or Asper cream or any of those, well, I got that thing out, and I smelled it, and it. if you've never smelled uh, this, this Icy Hot stuff, it smells a lot like 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 the toothpaste Pepsodent. And so I thought, I don't know if this is gonna work, but I'm gonna give it a shot. And I got Andrew's toothbrush, and I loaded that thing up with Icy Hot, and I set it there on the counter. I go out of the bathroom and I said, hey, Andrew, I'm done, and I even got your toothbrush ready for you. Now listen. I know, yeah, I know I shouldn't have done this. But if there is anybody in the world that knew better than to put into his mouth what I had prepared for him, it was my brother. But this doofus goes in there and he's just lathering his gums up something fierce, doesn't even notice the difference in taste. Apparently it tastes the same way. He gets done. I, by the way, have gone into our bedroom where we stayed and my face is buried in a pillow because I'm dying at this point. He comes in there and I'm waiting for the explosion. I'm waiting for it and it doesn't happen. We're laying there in bed, and I'm kind of disappointed. I thought there'd be fireworks. I was about ready to tell him. If you don't know, Icy Hot takes a little bit of time before it kicks in. And so we're laying there, and about that time, I heard the sounds. I just heard. Man! My gums are on fire. And the next thing I know, he has jumped up, and I remember seeing in the bathroom across the hallway him standing in front of a sink that's cranked on, he's just shoveling water into his mouth like this. Mom and Dad have figured out what has happened, and I realize that I have now lost the county fair for that year, but my granny, this is why I'm telling you this story, my granny is actually standing there in the doorway, and she's saying over and over to Mom and Dad, I'm sure he didn't mean to. I'm sure he didn't. (laughs) What are you talking about, woman? Like I fell into the tube and it just squirted on the... I am convinced to this day I could have burned their house down and my granny would have been standing in the front yard before this hideous raging inferno saying to the firemen, there is nobody that builds a fire like that child. That is what she would have been saying. That is my granny, I miss her in a lot of ways. One of the things I remember about that bedroom that we stayed in, it was granny's vanity table she had there and there was a mirror and up at the top, in the top corner of of that mirror was a little piece of paper and it had two words on it. Two words that granny would see every day when she woke up. You know what those two words were? Perhaps today. You know what that meant? I asked her what that meant. She was more than happy to tell. The whole point of perhaps today was maybe today is the day that Jesus comes back. Maybe today is the day that we all go home. And I've thought to myself a number of times how cool that is. That that regardless of what was going on in Granny's life, every day that she got up, she could not avoid seeing and therefore thinking about, maybe today is the day that I see Jesus. Imagine that starting off your day every day. How would that not impact us? How would that not change? How much better would our lives be How much more productive, I would suggest as Christians, would our lives be if we saw through that lens on a daily basis? In other words, every situation that we're in, every frustration that we have, every argument that we have, if we paused long enough and considered, in the eyes of eternity, what does this matter? What does this actually matter? What I'm getting worked up about right now, what does it actually matter in the eyes of eternity? Is this worth me getting upset about and losing valuable time here on earth to spread the name of Jesus because I'm worked up about whatever this is? If this is something that likely will blow over by mid-afternoon, it's probably not something that's going to be remembered in the halls of eternity, which allows a Christian to do what? Uh, I entitled this message, Standing Out, This is totally different than the world. That you and I are able to look at those frustrations and let it go. Because ultimately, in comparison to what's going to happen with eternity, this doesn't amount to anything. I was reading an article in preparation for this. uh, It's an article by Sue Bolin. And I don't know if Sue Bolin is is a counselor or what her occupation is. But she wrote, One of my friends is in the excruciating process of withdrawing from an addictive and sinful relationship. Now, she didn't expound upon that. We can assume maybe it was an adulterous affair, that this is something that her friend had wanted to leave, but she continues to find herself falling back into it. She knows it's sinful, but she can't stop herself. Look at what Sue went on and wrote. I ask her, 100 years from today, where will you be? Because you're not going to be here A hundred years from today, and when you are facing Jesus, what do you want to be glad that you did right now? And what is it that you want to avoid regretting in that moment? I look at that and I start wondering how different my life would look if that was the calculation Every time. Every time I experience regret. Jenny and I, jennys my wife, and we just took a trip. Um, there are times where Ginny and I just need to get away from our precious children. They're 14, that's enough said right there, but they're 14, 12, and 10. And so we took a trip out east to Pennsylvania. We saw Shanksville, the Flight 93 Memorial. We went to Gettysburg. And for an American history teacher, that was just like Cocaine. It was unbelievable. I shouldn't use that reference in church, should I? But anyway, so it was awesome to be out there at Gettysburg. But while we were out there, we're driving, because it's about two and a half hours between the two spots that we were going. And Jenny, we're having great conversation. And she asked me, you have any regrets? And we've talked about our past before, been married 16 years, so we've talked about it. But do you have any regrets? You look back on your childhood, do you regret anything? And here's the thing, we've been married 16 years, but I almost fell for this. She almost got me. And before it dawned on me that whatever I say in this moment can and will be used against me at a later date. So I clammed up pretty quick. It almost, it kind of reminded me, this is a lesson I learned. And some of you are newlyweds. Some of you are getting ready to get married. And guys, you believe that when you ask, hey, can I go do this? And your wife says, go ahead. Oh, the days I used to believe that was permission. (laughs) That is not permission. That right there is a dare. That's what that is. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, Peter. We'll see how that turns out for you, buddy. But anyway, I kind of realized that's what she was saying. But seriously, though, I think back on the regrets that I do have, and I wonder if I would have used Sue's question. In a hundred years from now, what do you want to be thankful as you're facing Jesus, that you chose to do in this moment right now? Now maybe I wouldn't have been spiritually mature enough, but maybe I would have been. I want you to think how this would actually change us. Um, I'll give you two scenarios. I think examples help. You get a bill. A medical bill that you weren't expecting. Maybe we've all been there. I think most of us have. A a bill comes that insurance didn't cover or we didn't have insurance. It's a $700 medical bill. Oh, we don't have $700. Where are we going to get $700 to pay this? We've we've already borrowed money from other people and so we don't know where this money's going to come from. We know the debt collectors are going to come if we don't pay it. Our paycheck would barely cover that and we got all these other bills. It's a financial stress. We have all faced, most of us I should say, have faced financial stresses. At the exact same time that that's going on in your life, you are aware that one of your friends does not know Jesus. I have friends like that that don't know Jesus. But which one of these two things, your current financial stress or your lost friend, which one is going to keep you up at night? Which one is going to cause you to lose sleep and to stress about and think about as the day goes on? I would contend that it's this one right here. But a hundred years from now, Christian, when you are worshiping around the throne of the Almighty, your current financial stress right now, is that going to matter at all? No. But that spot right next to you where your friend could be worshiping with you, that has eternal significance you see, a Christian is going to stand out because we're going to view things of this world differently. I want you to consider tonight the counsel of Scripture. If you got your Bible, I want you to flip to Philippians. Okay, Paul is writing to a group of Christians. This is Philippians chapter 3. Don't worry if you're a heathen and you don't have your Bible. I will read it to you. Okay, So this is Philippians chapter 3. I want to look specifically at verses 7 through 14. All right? Paul, speaking to a group of Christians, this is what he writes. But whatever was to my prophet... And Paul had a lot of profit. when he was, This guy was a Pharisee. He lived in a nice house. He had a lot of wealth. He had prestige and position. People turned to him for answers. He was an important guy in society's eyes. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, all that I had, loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Listen to verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. I want to raise like Jesus did. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Listen, this is what Paul says. If there's one thing you will know about me, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." And those are powerful words. And listen, I want you to reread that passage sometime, but here's the deal. Every time we read scripture, we think that we're getting a command or we're being given an instruction. Please read this passage the next time and don't think of it that way. Instead, think of this as an autobiography. This is Paul's testimony. This is Paul showing you a window to his heart. This is what drives him. This is what, what motivates him. And remember, Paul is one of the greatest examples that we could live up to. We should model ourselves after the life that he had. And Paul is saying, I care about one thing in this life. And what is it? Eternity with Jesus. That's what I care about. That's where my eyes are focused. Forget all I had gained. Forget all my mistakes. The one thing I press on towards is eternity with Jesus. My question is, do we live that way? I'm going to ask you again, and I want you to think about it. You don't have to answer out loud. Do we live that way? That the one thing that we are pressing on towards is to know Christ Jesus and to share eternity with him. Um, when we were out on our trip, as, ma- as ma- I don't know if you have this, like we have to get away from our kids from time to time, but then as soon as we're away from our children, what do we do? We miss our children. It's the weirdest phenomenon. We will talk to each other the day before we leave. I cannot wait to get out of here. I cannot wait to go. And then as soon as we're on the plane, Jenny's looking at pictures of the kids. Like, what are you doing? We just we need to get away from these people. We called our children while we were out in Pennsylvania. And they're of the age now. They got on the phone. Grayson is our little guy, he's 10. Dude talked for 90 minutes. He didn't stop. It was unmerciful. I had to call in, I had to tap out, bring Jenny in. Because we were playing this game. Dad, what do you think my 13th favorite movie is? I'm like, 13th? I don't know. Fox and the Hound. Dad, don't be ridiculous. Guess again. I have no idea. Like, I'm going through the internet movie database to try to come up with guesses. So after 60 minutes, I said, Jen, you're on. That's Grayson, 90 minutes. Then our 14-year-old got on the phone. That's Addie. That lasted about 30 seconds. It consisted of, hey, can I go to Coraline's party this weekend? And we said, Addie, we already told you that you cannot go to that party. You guys are ruining my life. And then she hands off the phone. That was our conversation with Addie. And Bristol is our third one, our middle child at 12. We don't have any idea where she was we left her at home my parents were supposed to be in charge they never saw her they got a postcard from her all I know is that she was not on the scene those are our kids why did we call them and talk to them we missed them as crazy as that is we missed them because we love them and it's amazing as we were having a great time and having all this conversation do you know what like 90 percent of our conversation was about it was about them And why? Because they're our lives. And we love them. We cherish them. Sometimes we want to squeeze them so tight their little heads pop off. But that is how much we love our kids. And Christians, here's what I'm saying. If people would have been watching us from a distance and they would have seen what we were doing and talking about, you know what they would have realized? These are two people that really miss the snot out of their kids and really love them. Christians, shouldn't that be us in the eyes of the world? Shouldn't the world be looking at us and seeing us say, man, we really love the church, we love God's people, and we love the word of God, we love to study it and learn, and we also love prayer and communing with God, but holy cow, I'm ready to see him. Holy cow, I'm ready to see him, I'm ready to be home, because this isn't home, and that's my fear. My fear is, with all of the wealth that we have, and look, some of you have bigger bank accounts than others, I'm aware of that, But if you're here tonight and you came by car and you're going home to a home tonight and you're going to have a meal or you already did have a meal, you're wealthy in the eyes of the world. And I worry with all the wealth that surrounds us that sometimes we get so comfortable here, we live such good lives here, we get comfortable with that and those things become more valuable to us where we're not yearning for a different time in a different place, because we're perfectly content here. That isn't Paul. That isn't Paul at all in Philippians 3. Look back at verse 8, what he said right there. Verse 8, What is more, I consider everything, all that I had gained, a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, Garbage that I might have attained Christ. Nothing in this world captivated Paul. Nothing in this world. Only Jesus did. He writes in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, listen to this, this line blows me away, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul wants to identify with Christ and his sufferings. I read that line and I'm saying, what? What? Who would want to identify, who loves somebody so much they want to identify with them in suffering for them? It doesn't make any sense what kind of lunatic would want to suffer like somebody else. Speaking of lunatics, let's talk about them. You know it. Have you ever considered how crazy missionaries are? There might be some of you in here who are missionaries or you were missionaries. You're nutty. You're not like us. I don't know what your problem is, but here's why I say that you guys are crazy. You know what a missionary does? A missionary leaves The Golden Corral, right? Where you have all of this food right in front of you. The Longhorn Steakhouse. All of these amazing places. Chick-fil-A. You can throw them all in there. And instead, they go somewhere many times and eat third world food. They exchange Chick-fil-A for rice, old rice, in an animal dung bowl. That's what they do. And I understand they're not all in those circumstances, but they choose that. And not just third-world food. They have third-world accommodations. They don't have a sleep mattress bed with the, with the dual comfort zones on the one side because your wife likes to sleep on a board and you don't understand it and you would rather sink in and have to you know, get a rope to pull you out of the mattress. They don't have that. I mean, they've got maybe, um, uh, because churches support them, they may have a mattress and a sheet, maybe some bedding, but they're in a hut that has mosquito nets up to protect them from malaria and all of these things that we don't deal with, that's what they choose. And missionaries, they have third world doctors and hospitals when they do get that malaria or they do get ill or their kids do. They can't just walk down the street and get a penicillin prescription No, they got to go to the local doctors that have very little training many times. And their kids don't have any good things. Their kids don't have iPads. Their kids don't have iPhones because there's no cell towers out there. Look at what they're depriving their kids of. All of this stuff. And not to mention, many of them are white. And they're going to places in the world where there aren't white people. And sometimes being a white person can jeopardize your safety. They know all this. I know all this. I don't get it, but they do. And what do they say? When you say to them, I don't know how you do it. How do you get away from all of this? Their answer is what? Yeah, I don't have all that, but I'm serving Jesus. I'm getting to, to serve his mission and see people in a foreign land come to know his name. And that's totally worth it to me. Listen, I'm not giving you a guilt trip. We're not all called to be missionaries. But maybe that lifestyle is something that we should look at and say, that should be our lifestyle even if we're on the mission field here. We should understand that reality. They prioritize Jesus above all other things, and I'm not sure that we do. In fact, I think many times to avoid suffering, you and I set up boundaries. What do I mean? Oh, I'll love people. I'll love people only so much, though, because I don't want to be betrayed. I don't want to feel like all of this love that I gave them was for no reason, so I put up a boundary. That's as far as I'll go. Oh, yeah, I'll give. I'll give my tithe, because I've worked out my budget, so it's not going to hurt me to do that. But don't expect me to give beyond that boundary, because then that would hurt me. And I can't, I can't handle not being comfortable. I'll talk about Jesus, sure, but I'll talk about him here where there's other people that know Jesus, and I'm not out on my own, and I'm not going to be mocked and made fun of. We're setting up boundaries, right? That's not in any way, shape, or form. It's so far from Philippians chapter 3. It is so far from that mindset. Look at verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, here it is again, forgetting what is behind, remember that line, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. He is he's consumed. Paul is obsessed with seeing Jesus. My question is Did you even think about it this week? I'm being serious. Let me tell you what I thought about this week. I teach in a high school. And this was our first week back at school. So the first thing I did for a couple days is, what happened to summer? Why are we starting on August 1st? That is the dumbest thing I remember when we started at Labor Day. And pretty soon we're going to be starting at the end of May. That's what I started thinking about. And then I started thinking about, do I have all of my copies made for the classroom rules? What about the seniors? i got to get them information for the senior class trip. All of these things. And oh my goodness, i got to get a message ready. It's not going to have to be that great because they're used to Dave. But anyway, I'm thinking about... All right, anyway, I was first seeing if you were paying attention, but also if he was paying attention. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. But those are the things that I thought about all week long. You know what I did not think about? I never once thought, I'm going to see Jesus really soon. In the grand scheme, I'm going to see him really soon. Did you? Is that something that you consciously dwelled on? Again, this isn't about guilt I'm asking us to wake up, Christians. To wake up and realize what we're doing and where we are. He, Paul thought everything else was garbage. And I would, I would tell you, I'm consumed in the garbage. All of this other stuff that the world throws, it's all that consumes me and all that I think about and all that I talk about. When there is something so much greater that should be, I should be obsessing over and looking at, Paul says this line. He says, forgetting what is behind... Now, I need you to be really, really careful how you interpret. I'm begging you to understand what I'm saying in this next part. Listen, I believe in counseling. I've been to counseling. Having someone to talk to when you're having uh, emotional anguish or mental strain or anxiety, that's important. And I'm not in any way condemning counseling. But I am going to try to show you a distinction between us and the world. Humanity is convinced that the answers to contentment lie within us. It's unlocking something inside us to make us content. That is what the entire field of psychology and psychiatry is built around right there. Counselors and psychiatrists, what do they do? They naturally obsess over looking backwards. What happened in your past that destroyed your contentment today? What happened? What did you do? How did you feel when all of that took place? What was what all was said? We need to probe into that. Who hurt you? And how did they hurt you? And how did you process all of that? That's what earthly mentorship and counseling is completely focused on looking behind. And they will go into your childhood. They'll even go into your infancy. Sometimes they'll go into the womb and try to figure out what it is that caused you to lose your contentment. I'm not suggesting that our past doesn't shape us in some ways. It does, but here's the point. We, when we look back, we always look back with regret over things that we did and wish we hadn't or resentment, somebody who harmed us or hurt us. That's what looking back often entails, but Paul is not interested in that. Paul, who has a lot of regrets, he did a lot of bad stuff. Paul is obsessed with the future. He is obsessed with what is to come. What makes us stand out as Christians, believers, while the world is looking back far, far more about what a Christian does is focused on the future and what is to come for us. And I'm telling you, we neuter our witness in the eyes of the world. We squelch our joy when we forget what's coming. Don't forget what's coming. Yeah, we say, oh yeah, we believe in the eternal life. We say that, but no, we don't live with eternity in our sight. Let me show you what we do, okay? I know I'm walking out of the zone that I'm allowed to walk out of. Just hang tight. I'm gonna grab something over here. This is a rope. I brought it with me, and this rope right here, I'm gonna pull it all the way over here. This rope, Francis Chan is the first guy I ever saw do this. I've seen other ministers do it as well. This rope right here is your life. Okay, you can't see the end of it over there because there is no end of it. It goes on for eternity. It goes out the door and starts wrapping around the world and it's just going like that. There is no end to it. This is your life. You know that you are made in the image of God, therefore you are an eternal being. Your life goes on for eternity. You see that taped end right there? That little part that's got the tape on it? That's the life that you're living here on earth. And we spend all of our time obsessing over what happens right here with no thought to what happens all the way out there. That's where we're focused, isn't it? I mean, you stop and think about it and all the things. We are consumed with this part right here, the stuff that's going on. And we say, well, I got to save money when I'm right here because there's going to be something that happens right there that I'm going to want to have money for. And we freak out if we're not going to have it. Do you know how myopic that is? How narrow of a vision that is? We're consumed right here. Look up, Christians. Look at what is to come. Lift your eyes up and realize where the majority of your life will be spent and therefore where the majority of your life should be focused while you're here, that's what we miss all the time. Paul says, in this part of life right here, this part that I'm living right here, my focus is gonna be on that part. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm pressing on to. Because that's what's ultimately going to matter. Uh, I'll give you an example. Examples are good. You're tithing. When I was first starting teaching, I got off topic fairly easily, and it was annoying. But um, we were, with my class one day, going through the list of how expensive it is to be an adult. And I showed them, you know, this is what I get for a paycheck. And then we started deducting everything, all of my bills and the rent and all of that stuff that I had for my apartment and everything, and the electric bill. But one of those things that I had listed was the tithe to the church. And so when you got down to the end of the paycheck and I didn't have anything left, the kids were saying, oh, the easy thing to do there, just don't give so much to the church. Why are you giving so much to the church? Because if you do that, man says, that's really dumb. Because if you're giving it all there, then you're not gonna have any of it to do right in here. That doesn't make any sense. You ought to save your money so you can do this right here at this point in your life. But the Christian says, man, no, world, You're the one who's blind because what I'm doing right now, right here with that tithe, is making preparations for all of that, which is of so much more value than what you're focused on right there. I'm going to tell you, Christians, there are four changes that are going to happen when we begin to view life through the eyes of eternity. Number one, you are not going to fear that the enemies of right will win. When you start focusing on this part of life, and this is all you can see. Oh, we lose an election. The guy I wanted to lost an election. Oh, the whole world's collapsing. Can you believe what's happening? Look at this crisis over here. We got a pandemic over here. We got terrorism over there. The enemies of right seem so strong. Hate seems so strong. Yeah, if you're focused here, where the devil's running wild trying to do his thing, lift up your eyes. You know who wins, you've read the end of the story. You know that Jesus has already conquered and overcome the world and he is going to reign on his throne for eternity. When you begin viewing the world through the eyes of eternity, look how much more the Lord reigns in ultimate power and majesty. You don't fear that the enemies of right are going to lose this one. Second thing that happens, you don't fear falling off this roller coaster of cultural trends and fads. Oh, I better hashtag this tonight so that everybody knows I'm on board with this movement. I better post this black image to Instagram so everybody knows that I'm on board with this cause. Those causes and and trends, you know how many times they're going to change just in this little thing? Like every other day it's something new. And people obsess over that. Christians, we don't have to fear that anymore. Look at the big picture. We don't have to put trust. Gosh, I'm so thankful for this. We don't have to put trust in worldly leaders to bring us hope and security. We don't. This is for such a short time. God raises up kings and kingdoms, and he dispatches them, and it's going to happen in our little frame of of time that we're on earth. But he is the king. And he rules, and he's ultimately righteous. And fourthly, we don't have to fear the angry words and thoughts and aggressions of other people because suffering is only for a time. Look at what's coming. Do you notice a common word in there of what we lose, Christians, when we view the eyes through the eyes of eternity? You see that word? Fear dissipates. You want to stand out, that's one way. I saw this tweet recently. Look at what it says, so true. If the climate doesn't kill you, white supremacy will. If transphobia doesn't kill you, sexism will. If homophobia doesn't kill you, racism will. If inequality doesn't kill you, nationalism will. If terrorism doesn't kill you, a pandemic will. Society is managed through fear. There's always another crisis. And we go from one crisis to the next. And if you're consumed with the things of this world, you're gonna be convinced it's all over. We're falling apart. You're going to, the sky is falling. Listen, this is the way of the world. That's the way the world is managed. Not believers. Not Christians. Our eyes are set on another time and another place. I wanna close with this. Flip to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter six. This is Jesus teaching his followers. I know that you know this passage. He says to them, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is a treasure? A treasure is, everybody has a treasure. It's what they are pursuing in their life, what they think is going to give them life. For a lot of people, it's money. For a lot of people, it's relationships. Whatever it is that you are pursuing that you think is gonna give you life, that is your treasure and it controls your heart. That's the reality. You know what Jesus is teaching us here? When we were coming back from our trip, we dropped the rental car off, we flew to O'Hare and we're waiting for our connecting flight out of Chicago to Indianapolis. I go to the bathroom in O'Hare. If you don't know, O'Hare is a dirty airport. And on top of that, O'Hare is like one of the most trafficked airports. I go into the bathroom, and there, in the bathroom, under urinal number three, is a $20 bill. Okay, Jenny tells me that this should have been a difficult choice for me because, yeah, it's a $20 bill, but this could be the most urinally and and fecally stained $20 bill in history. This is in O'Hare Airport, okay? Think of all the people, and you know where it's sitting, so you know what has fallen upon it. We all know that. Well, I didn't think twice. It's a $20 bill, and I reached down, I picked it right up and put it in my pocket. I'm not an idiot. Okay, so... What, what, uh, this, I'm going to try to make a point here, so stick with me, all right? What was the intrinsic value of that piece of paper that has $20 written on it? Just the paper itself. Intrinsically, that piece of paper is not worth anything. It's not. You can get a piece of construction paper, and there's more material value there than what's on a dollar paper, right? Okay, so intrinsically, that thing isn't worth anything, So why in the world would I pick up something that has no intrinsic value? Ah, because I know that that same object has assigned value. I know that the U.S. Department of Treasury has assigned that disgusting fecal stained paper 20 units worth of goods and services in the United States. So I grab that thing fast because that thing is worth $20. It's assigned that value. Okay. Go with me on this. What Jesus is teaching in this passage is be on guard because you so often assign value to worthless things. You are so often looking at worthless things in this life and you're putting value on them and you're building up treasures on earth. Don't do that. Don't build up treasures just because you're assigning them value. Instead, Intrinsic value. What has intrinsic value? My son, Grayson, got baptized, like Kaylee did earlier, not too long ago. Somebody made his day. This little 10-year-old came up to him and said, you know, Grayson, you made Satan really mad today, and the angels are having a party. And Grayson came up to me just beaming, you know, the devil's really mad today, and they're having a party in heaven. And I reaffirmed it. You better believe it, buddy. They're going nuts in heaven right now, just like they were earlier tonight, going crazy in heaven. But here's the question what are they celebrating in heaven? What are they celebrating every moment? But when my son was put under the water and he arose a new creation in Christ, when the same thing happened with Kaylee, what are they actually celebrating in heaven? I'll tell you what they're celebrating. You say a sinner coming home, that's true. But how did that sinner get home? By his own works, by his own deeds? No, by God's grace. What they are celebrating in heaven every moment is God is his grace, is his goodness, is his majesty. You look at this line. We got a lot of stuff going on here, but while we're doing this in heaven, and then once we're there, all along that line, that's what we're going to be celebrating. All right, so here's the key moment that I want to leave you with, Christians. Those of us who want to live in the light of eternity, no one, please hear me, no one in heaven right now or any time that's going to occur, no one in heaven is celebrating how big their house was here on earth. And no one in heaven is celebrating how much money they made here on earth. And no one in heaven is celebrating how prestigious of a career they had or how many online debates they won. Man, I stuck it to a lot of people on Facebook when I was down there on earth. Nobody cares. Nobody's celebrating how many politicians they owned with their pithy remarks to the local newspaper. Nobody is celebrating how many elections their party and their side won. Nobody cares. Nobody is celebrating how many social media followers they had you know i wrote a tweet once that had 252 likes you can read it and weep baby nobody's celebrating that in heaven nobody is celebrating how many rights guaranteed to them by the u.s constitution i successfully defended when i was on earth nobody's celebrating that stuff in heaven not one soul celebrates it so my question is why are we why is that what we're consumed with Why are we as believers obsessed with that stuff, controls us, it's all we think about on a daily basis. Why are we so obsessed with these earthly treasures when what heaven offers is so near? How near? Perhaps today. Father God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the truth that you wrote through your servant Paul. Such an example he is for us. Father, take our eyes off of worthless things. Put them on things with intrinsic value. Put them on the lost and the hurting. Those that need to hear your word, even if they don't want to. Father, may we be consumed with the thought of living forever. May we be consumed with the thought of your magnificent gift of grace that came through the nail-scarred hand of your son, Jesus Christ, who this very moment is extending those nail-scarred hands and begging us, begging us to follow. Father, I pray that the wealth of our generation and in this culture, that it would not consume us, that we would not obsess over it. Father, I pray that we would see it as an avenue to build up your glory and your name and your reputation, and that by doing so, we would stand out in a culture that would decide they want what we have, which is the only thing of value precious gift of your son Jesus in whose name we pray all of these things and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for your attention. Thank you.